0: Hello out there in the world. Uh, Good morning to everyone joining us from Asia. Uh, Good evening if you're joining us from the US. If you're joining us from Europe, I'm sorry, and I hope you have a lot of coffee. Um, Thanks for joining us today for the second in the Sherpa Funds Technology Process Alpha webinar series, focused on the topic of how good is your portfolio. So this is a series of webinars that we're conducting to introduce new tools, new methods that we at Sherpa find very useful for helping fund managers understand the quality of their portfolio decisions. So the quality in asset selection, the quality in terms of portfolio composition, whether it be ex ante or ex post. And so the the last time in in part one, what we really focused on was the the ex post element was looking at the portfolio performance, looking at a universe of potential candidate portfolios to break down the asset selection versus the portfolio construction component of portfolio returns. And so today we're going to take that and sort of move back a step and move to the ex ante part of the analysis and introduce a tool that we call the risk quality graph. To help us break down portfolio sizing and portfolio construction decisions and to assess the quality of our portfolio before we've seen how it works out and so the risk quality graph is a tool that you know that we've worked with at sherpa and that that richards put a lot of time and thought into developing uh so today uh you know, by way of introduction, if you can see those of us talking again, um, if you didn't join us last time, my name is Stephen Quimby. I'm head of sales and marketing at Sherpa Funds Technology and our founder and CEO, Richard Waddington, is joining us today. And, and Richard's the, the brains behind the presentation today. Uh, Richard, give the people a, a good welcome. Good morning. Good afternoon. Good evening, everybody, uh, wherever you may be. Great. So uh, so the introduction, you know, today we're going to be taking about 30 minutes to go through this. Uh, we're going to lay out really what the problem is we're trying to solve, how we use this tool that we call the risk quality graph to, to solve that problem, to determine how good a portfolio it is. And then really how that risk quality graph can be applied in different types of portfolio composition, different types of portfolio structure to improve your portfolio decision making. So uh, we will take questions at the end. If you do have any questions, you're welcome to put them in the chat as we go through the session. Um, If they are just completely urgent and need to be tackled right away, we'll try to get to them midstream. But otherwise, like I say, we should be going through the, the topic in about 30 minutes. So just hang tight to the end and we'll take any questions you might have. And so, so really today, like I said, what we're gonna talk about, this concept of the risk quality graph, it's a way to visualize your portfolio and to visualize how well built it is. So the risk quality graph is a mixture, it's it's driven by sort of what we view as the key drivers of position sizing and portfolio construction decisions at the asset by asset level. And so the risk quality graph helps us make sure. It's a visual check to help us make sure that we're really taking the risk we want to take in the portfolio while mitigating the risk we don't want to take. Um, so Richard, let let's show them what a risk quality graph looks like and, and see if anybody knows what we're talking about. So so this, this is our this is our sample risk quality graph. Now, and this this is a live client portfolio uh, that was given to us a, a live portfolio snapshot displayed in the risk quality graph. And this is, compared to what we talked about last time, something that I feel fairly confident in saying if you're not affiliated with or a client of Sherpa Funds Technology, you've never seen this graph before. So we're gonna start from the beginning and we're gonna build this risk quality graph from the ground up. We're gonna unpack what the drivers are that we're looking to capture in this risk quality graph and then ultimately how you use this to better improve your portfolio decisions. So Richard, uh, what are we looking at here? yeah so i i appreciate for for
1: many of you on the call this would be a slightly confusing looking picture like what is this what are we talking about and we're going to go into how this picture is built up what it means and why it tells you how good or how not good your portfolio actually is um we'll we'll go, we'll do this step by step but just as a starting point let me tell you what the two axes uh, represent each Each blob on the graph, uh, maybe you can see my cursor on the screen, each blob represents one asset. So this big blob here that I'm circling is an asset and its weight in the current portfolio is, I guess, five and a quarter percent. So each blob is an asset and its weight is given on the Y axis. Let's have a look at what goes onto the X axis. And we'll think about where a blob should be and what it represents. So if we think about what, what should drive how we create a, build a portfolio, how we create a basket of assets which express a view, really, we want to think about each asset and then we want to think about how the assets interact with each other. Um, so the drivers of an, an asset's weight because the end result, really, a portfolio is just a set of assets each of which has a weight and the weights all add up to you know hundred plus or minus whatever cash you've got. so we've got a set of assets each one've got a weight what is the driver of how much weight should be in each asset? well clearly the first thing you need to care about is how good you think this asset is how well is it going to do so some forward-looking expectation of return then at a single asset level you've got how risky is it what's the the danger of holding that asset, what could it do, what harm can it do to you? Um, and you know, I'm kind of talking in, in long only language here, but this is as applicable to long short, as applicable to commodities, currencies, uh, FX, um, um, any macro position. Um, but uh, I'm gonna use the language of, of long on equities because it's sort of easier to communicate. Um, so how good is your asset? How risky is it? Uh, and then the third thing is, um, how does it play with the rest of the portfolio right So you may have a great asset and it may be very low risk, but if when it falls everything else in your portfolio also falls, it really has no no uh, merit in your in your portfolio. It in no way diversifies the downside. Okay? Um, and then finally uh, well finally uh, this isn't a, a sequential thing but at the same time we have to care about, all the various portfolio objectives and constraints, uh, liquidity, um, sector, geography, uh, asset style type, whatever it happens to be, whatever you've told your investor base, whatever your LPs think you're doing. So if we start with what what I'm going back to, which is the Y axis on that graph, the risk, which we call the risk quality score. And remember, if we've got 50 or 60 assets, this is a very complicated 50 dimensional problem. So we're trying to project it onto something we can look at on a page. The risk quality score is a measure of each asset's risk quality, simple as that. And really that's a kind of ratio or a proportion of how much you like the asset. So what's your forward looking view on it and how risky the asset is. Clearly the riskier it is, the lower the risk quality score and the more you like it, the higher the risk quality score. Um, and so, broadly speaking, we can say we take the ratio of these two numbers and add some factor to it, we get something like a risk quality score. Um, so if you have the risk quality score for all your assets, and, and and you do, because you know, if you have a portfolio of 50 assets, you know how much you like each asset, that is part of your pre portfolio building world, right, you know what that number is. So you know the ev the expected value of each portfolio what you're expecting to get out of it and you can also say what is the riskiness of the asset now you can base that on purely historical data or you can add your own you know as much of your own um, feeling into it as you like but broadly you can say this asset has a high ev and a low risk and this asset has a medium whatever etc and you can plot on the y-axis where each asset should live so you could have an asset that lives out here which has got a high risk quality score it could be it's very low risk or it could be you love it a lot you have an asset that lives down here which has a low risk quality score because maybe it's incredibly risky no matter how much you like it and if you take that as a starting point you could say I tell you what let's build our portfolio by making every assets weight proportionate to its risk quality score and, you know, add the final constraint that all the sum, the weights, all add up to 100.
0: And to be clear, um, so you can see, can see, that wouldn't be a bad, simple first pass, you know, in the world of equal weighting or in the world of cap weighting. This would be another sort of simple thing you could do. Yeah. As, as exactly. So if, if you all. thought of the, the kind of most basic
1: equal weight, then the next thing you could do could be pure risk weighting. And here we're doing risk adjusted by conviction weighting right Right. so we are ascribing to you as a portfolio manager a level of uh, forward-looking understanding or or correctness right which you must have because that's what you do Um, and we're combining the two together so there's nothing particularly stupid about this approach it's just a very simple it's better than pure uh, risk parity which is better than equal weighted which is better than random But you'll see what it leads to. But you you could have, and you could end up with a a portfolio weighting picture, a risk quality score picture that looks like this, where the lower risk quality scores have low weights, the higher risk quality scores have high weights. Uh, And remember that risk quality score, this position on the y-axis that a portfolio, uh, that an asset um, occupies is a function of that asset's um, forward-looking expectations of return and its um, riskiness, again, how I want it. Now, uh, the problem with this is, of course, that it totally ignores the fact that some assets are highly, and I'm gonna say co-movemented because because I'm not talking about correlation, I'm not talking about covariance, but I'm really talking about propensity for downside, uh, common downside movement, right? Because that's what you care about, You, you actually don't, negatively care about the fact that all the assets go up together. I mean that's a great thing. <laughs> what you care about is introducing assets to your portfolio, which when they have something bad happening to them, other the rest of the portfolio also has something bad. So we we will call this co-movement and and you know we have our own mathematical definitions and descriptions of this, but you know it's for a for a deeper conversation. Um, so if you Replot that same picture, the risk quality score picture, and you make the bubble size, and this is where we're getting into what our picture is about, the bubble size equal to the um, co-movement of each asset. Then you start seeing something interesting. You start seeing things like uh, this tiny little bubble here. What's that telling us? It's telling us that this asset has, you know, pretty good risk quality score level, but it has very, very low co-movement. In, in fact, depending on how you, you, you build your scale, it could actually have a kind of negative co-movement, meaning it's it reduces total portfolio risk. Its presence reduces total portfolio risk. When it goes down, the rest of the portfolio goes up or vice versa. So this, this little asset here, this one that's got this tiny bubble, surely deserves a higher weight than the asset that is adjacent to it this big bubble one here the one that's on top this big bubble one here has got a slightly higher risk quality score but it's a much higher co-movement meaning when it drops the rest of the portfolio drops and so now you're thinking ah actually yeah of course it, it's kind of crazy in my simple naive rqs build portfolio i've given this one slightly more weight i mean within you know Material sense, it makes no difference whether it's 3.3 and 3.5%. So let's call it you know, the same weight. But this one is clearly much more risk additive to my portfolio than this one. And a good construction of the portfolio would elevate my little bubble here somewhere up here. I would reduce this one down here. And this would clearly give a better result. Now, let's have a look. If we do the, what is the actual result? And again, as Stephen said, this is live data. If we do the simple um, risk quality score scheme, we get the, this set of returns from this portfolio. So, you know, there was alpha in the portfolio. It did okay, et etc. et cetera. Um, but if we look at the actual portfolio, the actual portfolio that they put in place, and compare it to the risk quality score portfolio, we can see there's quite a bit of difference. And one of the reasons is of course, that the actual portfolio has constraints on it. It has things which the the assets cannot be. So, you know, here you clearly it's got a lower bound, but there are other constraints, you know, particular assets should not be plus or minus, you know, more than a certain amount from a benchmark. So the, the actual portfolio, um can't be a perfect risk quality score portfolio because of various you know other stuff that's going on um
0: our last session where someone asked about an equal weighted portfolio as as a comparison in our universe of compliant portfolios and again that equal weighting was not compliant with fund requirements it didn't meet the objectives and constraints
1: yeah so that this, this problem of trying to find the, the correct balance of risk and portfolio diversification is complicated by the fact that you have practical considerations at every at the asset level, at group level, at sector level, et cetera, et cetera. Um, when we look at the, the return stream of the two, though, it's quite interesting. The risk quality score portfolio is better in risk and return terms than the actual portfolio. And you kind of expect that, right? Because it's got, um, it, it weighs assets that have a higher expectation of value. So more of your information in it higher and it reduces the weight in assets which are much more risky. Um, so you kind of expect it to do do well and it, and it does do better. But of course it's unattainable. You can't have that portfolio. It's not allowed for a whole bunch of reasons that. You know, we won't go into the exact detail, but limits and et cetera, et cetera. So what, what can you do? Well, we need to solve this four, let's call it, I use the word factor hesitantly, four driver problem, okay? When you solve this four driver problem, the four drivers being the forward-looking view of the asset, the riskiness of the asset, how badly the asset could hurt you, the co-movement, how the assets downside plays with the downside of the rest of the assets in the portfolio. And remember, that is different for every asset. If you've got 50 assets, asset one, well, asset one's co-movement is the co-movement of it with the other 49 assets in their weights. Asset two's co-movement is the co-movement of it with asset one and assets three to fifty. So it's quite a complicated problem. You need to look at all that. And you need the, the fourth thing, which is that all the constraints and everything have to be uh, compliant and, and in place.
0: Um, so and I, what happens if you- An important thing to call out on there is that when you're thinking about that as a PM, remember that, as you said at the beginning, those first two elements are things that you know and that are simple, straightforward calculations. That co-movement, you can only calculate that when you already have the weights of all of the assets in the portfolio. So definitionally, that already means you've sort of started down that road of complex calculation to solve this problem, because you have the weights to calculate accurate co yeah,
1: and Yeah, and, and to get to the right answer, you have to check the co-movement of all possible assets with all other possible assets at all different possible weights. So this is this is why we, we, we use a big service to do this maths. But what does the end result look like? So we, we've said that some sort of level of risk quality score is, is a good way of doing things. And we saw that that generates a better return. We've also said you can't do the risk quality score pure thing because it's not compliant. And also it misses out on the fact that things which have low co-movement should be higher and things that have high co-movement should be lower. And so if we actually run the, the system and get a systematically calculated portfolio, we can see on this picture what it looks like. It's, it's the blue dots. And look at the blue dots compared to the the, the, the red dots, which was the original portfolio. Um, and you can see, for instance, that um, let's go for a small co-movement asset. This asset here, whatever it happens to be, that sitting around, Uh, 180% risk quality score, which don't worry about the units of that. You can see that the original portfolio has it with a weight of about two and a half percent, two and three quarters. And we've got it at around about four and three quarters. And the reason of course that our weight is so much higher is because this asset has a very small co-movement. Likewise, you can see this, well, there are three assets here in the original portfolio, you can kind of make them out, the, the bubbles are on top of each other, um, two of which have very high co-movement because they're very big, and one of which is sort of medium-ish. And you can see that the um, systematically built portfolio has reduced the weight of these. It's brought the really high co-movement one down to here and the, the other two sort of in the middle. So we're still expressing the view, we're still expressing the view that is inherent in the PMs uh, forward-looking expectation of each asset, we are taking account of the riskiness of each asset, and we're also taking account of the co-movement and all the other constraints that are in there that stop this being a nice smooth, you know, uh, upward sloping simple line. And uh, we we get a systematic portfolio, one of our portfolios uh, in the light blue thing. Um, how does it do? And again, this is real data. Well. We've got the original line, which is the the red line. We've got the pure RQS line, which is the green line, but we know we can't actually do that, and it misses co-movement. And we've got the blue line, which is our um, portfolio, and you can see it has lower drawdown, it has uh, lower vol, um, uh, and performs uh, as well, actually better than the the original portfolio. So by by being uh, calculating the the weights using a systematic approach, which takes account of the views, the riskiness, and the co-movement, we get a portfolio that performs better by certainly the three primary things one should care about, uh, return, uh, downside volatility, so drawdown, and that actually overall uh, vol uh, riskiness. Um, now, we can ask ourselves, well, what if we want to take more risk what does that look like still with the systematic calculation let's see how does our our desire for riskiness affect what the view of the portfolio looks like and here we've got two different systematic the calculated portfolios which we're looking at Um, the light blue lines are the low risk uh, the darker ones are the are called medium risk and you can see by increasing risk what you're doing is you're you're spreading out the weight slightly so that the, some of the higher uh, weight ones are getting a bit higher. Some of the lower weight ones are getting a bit lower. Um, you're taking, you know, for instance, um, this this blob here has been ra- raised from somewhere down here. Um, it, it's, it's, a, it's a widening of the gap between the, the, the lowest names and highest names. And remember, you, you can't just adds to all positions right the sum of the positions still has to be 100 or whatever your portfolio constraint is um so you in order to take more risk what you have to do is widen the gap between the things which are high risk high reward and the ones which are low risk low reward and that's what this
0: picture is showing and so if we were to think about that in the, the simple way for the the less quantitatively inclined that might be listening if we're taking less risk we're prioritizing in our weighting decisions the smaller bubbles because they're better diversifiers and if we want to take more risk then we're putting more eggs in our you know basket of the the stocks that might move in tandem but we're taking more exposure to that co- more concentrated thesis
1: yeah ex- exactly as you as you what does it mean to take more risk in a portfolio what it really means is to ascribe more more weight, more purchasing power or cash into assets which are riskier, but have a higher conviction. And you have to, in order to execute on that, you have to be funding that by selling something that has lower risk or lower execution. Um, so how does that turn out? Well, funnily enough, I mean, th- th- this gives you a portfolio which has higher vol higher drawdown but in this case because the alpha is there you also get a higher return so you're beginning to see now that by looking at your portfolio or you can have a way of looking at your portfolio and seeing how much risk you're taking and how well is it constructed and then you can see actually how that turns out so th- this is a sort of uh, the-, the bubble graph is an ante way of seeing whether you've built your portfolio well and then the results are ex post going, I actually, yeah, I, it, it worked or, you know, I had no alpha or whatever. Um, so if we kind of, you know, here we've got three portfolios, it gets a bit complicated, but you can see that as you get, um, oh, sorry, this medium and high, we've got a, a third portfolio, a much higher risk portfolio again. And you can see that once again, we've taken the next step of spreading things out, of taking high co-movement assets, which we like, so they've got high risk quality score and increasing their weight um, because we want to take more risk. And and this has the impact, of course, of increasing the volatility in the portfolio. But if you are right, if you're right, if your forward looking expectation of value is correct, you are going to do
0: better. And so Um, practically speaking, it's worth reinforcing here. Same assets, same views, same decisions, same objectives, same constraints. These are the same, it's the same problem. These are just different presentations of how much risk you want to take and a way to visualize and think about that.
1: Yeah. Um, But uh, but the, the, the important part is that they are all arrived at through a systematic process of capturing the alpha decisions, capturing the objectives and constraints, calculating the possible portfolios that, uh, and maximizing, or getting the correct ratio of riskiness to co-movementness, which is really what uh, to, uh, sorry, riskiness of expectations of value to co-movementness, to the sum of co-movement. Um, how does it turn out? Well, here we've got the the medium and the high portfolio. Again, what we'd expect, the high portfolio has higher drawdowns, higher vol, but again, because we've got alpha, to a to a degree we get a higher return now you know in extremis you could say i want to go you know the, what's the maximum risk i can take well you'd say okay the maximum risk i could take would be theoretically a hundred percent into the asset which has the highest risk quality score so you would have one you know thing and then your pnl would just be that asset of course the fund is not able to act like that. And, and we have to have, you know, more than whatever X stocks, et cetera, et cetera. But you can see that you can go from the lowest possible uh, risk portfolio, which would be everything in you know the, the cash, right? To the highest possible risk portfolio, which would be everything in the single highest RQS asset. You add the constraints into there. You can say, actually, oh, I can only have 7% in this one. And therefore, everything has to filter that um, you do have to think about the full four conditions, though. maximizing your EV, concerned about the, the riskiness of the single assets, concerned about the co-movement and concerned about all the objectives and constraints. And
0: you can see that here in the fact that, you know, this higher risk portfolio, like we said, is taking on more risk, it's taking on more concentration, it's taking on more co movement. But it's still because it's taking into account all those drivers, because it's taking into account risk quality, you know, the riskiness of the assets, the downside co movement to the rest of the portfolio, the risk characteristics of the high risk portfolio that's systematically constructed are still better than the risk characteristics of the, let's call it, heuristically region. constructed original portfolio.
1: Exactly. And incidentally, or more than incidentally, the difference in return, this is a six month return picture. Um, if we look at the medium versus the original, uh, it's like 130 bips over six months, so 200 and 250 bips uh per annum is entirely consistent with pretty much all the data we see across all the the work we've done over the years. So this is absolutely realizable, genuinely. You can make these improvements in your portfolio and it shows at the end. Um, So, you know, as a sort of final overview, you can say a heuristically calculated portfolio, which is what the red line here is, does capture your alpha, of course, because you've got your assets you'd like in it, but it absolutely does not maximize the alpha relative to the risk you're taking, which is what we want to do. Um, The systematic approach allows you to choose how much risk you really want to take. Um, It allows you to be compliant with everything else, and it allows you to express your view as strongly as you want it to within that constraint. Um, So, you know, this picture, which has all three systematic or Sherpa portfolios on it. There's a lot of blobs on here and there's a lot of colors and it, it's not immediately instinctive. But if we take a portfolio from from any of you and run it through this process, we can look at exactly where you are in, that, in, in this picture. How good is your portfolio? Do you have high uh, weights in assets that have high co-movement? That is fine if you recognize that you have, you want to be taking a lot of risk. That's the high risk portfolio as well. Or are you more um, uh, built more with only very low co-movement assets in the high weights? This is a very important thing to look at your portfolio like this, to give you an idea of how well you are expressing your view.
0: And then you can use that same picture to drill down to those individual assets and to really identify and to think critically about how that interplay between your expected future view of the asset works in tandem with its ability, you know, to diversify to limit the risk of the overall portfolio. This is a quick way to, you know, pinpoint exactly which assets are your assets that are highest risk quality, your assets that are the highest uh you know co-movement the assets under the low co-movement this is a way to pinpoint that at the asset level as well as understanding at a compositional level that you're taking the amount of risk or the type of risk you want to take exactly okay great well so um so i you know this has been uh, admittedly a little bit more uh let's say novel a concept than what we talked about last time and so if anyone has questions and certainly if you haven't had time to digest all the things we're talking about uh, please remember that we will be making a replay available so we'll be sending out an email with the replay link Uh, we should be posting it there's a new sherpa funds technology youtube channel where we're posting our process alpha webinar replays so if you want to check out session number one Uh, that video is going to be in that same channel so if you get the link you can find the channel right there so if you want to look through this again if you because this is a concept that you know admittedly when we work with new clients onboarding them this is a concept that most of our clients find quite powerful once they've had time to to grapple with it once they've had time to kind of really understand what these drivers are what these drivers mean and then to actually see how that plays out in a live portfolio so if you have any questions now um we don't have a lot of questions, which uh, leads me to believe that people probably are a little bit confused. So I would encourage you, please reach out to us, reach out to Richard, to myself, uh, to our colleague, Craig, who's on the call as well, helping moderate. Uh, Any of us would be happy to talk to you and help walk through and build a risk quality graph off of a portfolio of your data. So please uh, don't hesitate to get in touch. Uh, Look out for the replay link coming soon. Uh, Richard, anything else you want to make sure we covered today? No, I I think that's... That's good. I recognise that, you know, a
1: picture with lots of different coloured blobs at first sight can feel a little bit um, concerning. <laughs> um, so please do take some time to think through it. And as Stephen said, any questions, we're happy to go through it in more detail. We, we do have, you know, longer kind of white paper explanations of all this. Um, but you know, please do get in touch, and you know, let's uh, see if we can help you uh, express your views better. And and make uh, better returns
0: great okay well richard thanks so much for taking the time today to go through all of this uh we're a couple minutes past our 30 minute clock but we knew that this was maybe a little bit of a dense topic to get through in 30 minutes uh, so i'd like to thank everybody once again for taking the time to be with us today uh so please if you have any questions reach out let us know otherwise you look out for the announcement for our third Uh, how good is your portfolio process alpha webinar, which will be coming out shortly, in which we're gonna tie together this ex ante view of taking risk with the ex post view of the different candidates and how the portfolio actually plays out to see how you can use this tool to really dig into sort of how the portfolio is being constructed at a positional level see how that actually plays out against the universe of potential outcomes and and really have sort of a feedback cycle to assess the quality of your portfolio construction decisions. So uh, again, thanks everybody for taking the time today. Richard, thanks so much for for sharing your your knowledge with us on this one. So we will look forward to seeing everyone next time. And uh, this is Sherpa Funds Tech signing out.
1: Thanks so much, everybody. Thanks, Stephen.